Hello, everybody. My name is Marianna Salem, a.k.a. Mary. I'm here with my co-host, Duryadhan Hark, a.k.a. Daya. We are two writers who love movies, television, and books, especially when they're gay. And welcome to Gay V Club, where we look at LGBT media that we like, that we don't like, and how we relate to them as gay people of colour. Hello. Welcome slash welcome back, everybody. What's up? Thank you for tuning in. Remember, if you like Gay V Club, please wreck us to your friends, your family, your crush, you know, your uni tutorial class. Leave a nice review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can keep up to date with us on our personal socials, but also we have a Twitter and Instagram, which is at gayv underscore club. We also have a Tumblr, which is gayv club podcast. And we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash gayvclub, where we have bonus episodes if you're interested in hearing more from us. Our most recent episodes look at high school media and needle drops and music in LGBT yeah. media. Also, little self-plug, uh, please support the two anthologies that I'm in if you haven't already. Uh, this all come back now and Unlimited Futures for some lovely black sci-fi and dystopia and speculative fiction a lot of it is gay both the editors of both anthologies are gay so it's a good time it's a good time what are we doing today now completing our 2022 wrap-up and looking at film just part two of our 2022 wrap-up um because there was a lot of tv to get through it was like you know becoming more mainstream is hard guys it gives us more work yeah. to do than we're used to but that's good it's a good thing yeah it's it's good it's good there's a lot to talk about and i hope you guys had fun listening to it so yeah today we're talking about movies and movies there's been quite a lot this year so first film on our list is Am I Okay, which is uh, directed by Tig Notaro and Stephanie Allen. So it's a coming-of-age lesbian drama about this woman in her 30s who is kind of only just coming to terms with the fact that she's a lesbian and is kind of exploring that part of herself. She's played by Dakota Johnson. Her best friend is played by Sonoya Mizuno. You've probably seen like a still of that movie of them two in bed and no, they're not gay in this movie, unfortunately. It's still very nice. Um, I would say it's kind of a bit like book smart in a way, sort of. Just, I don't know, in the way that the movie is structured, it's similar. So I got to see this film as part of the Sundance program at the start of 2022, where it was purchased by HBO. But where is it? Where is it? It hasn't been released anywhere. Mm, I want to see this yeah, movie. Yeah, no, it's it's really good. And mm. so, yeah, we, we don't know where this movie is, but we hope that you guys can see it. And I hope that I can watch it again because, yeah, where where is it? Where is it? Put it on Tubi. Mm-hmm. Put everything on Tubi. Next film, you've got Heart Shot. Heart Shot. Heart Shot is a fun little gay action short directed by a lesbian stunt coordinator, Marielle Woods. I had an aim this year to watch more short films, which I did achieve, and it's just really fun. The premise is that, you know, there are these two college girlfriends, they're at home, and then, uh, you know, some some unsavory assassin characters, mm. you know, come into the house. Yeah. One of the girlfriends, she fights them off with all these skills, and the other girl's like oh my god, you know, how did you do all this? And she's like, there's things I haven't told you, you know. It's one of those, you know, it's a, 
It's so cool. It is so cool. And because it's filmed by a stunt coordinator, the fight choreography is so cool. Like the way it's filmed Mm. is good. I don't have an eye for the filming of fight choreography as much as Dea does. But when I know it's good, I feel like I know it's good, you know? But yeah, Heart Shot's really fun. It's still on Netflix. Give it a watch. Great time. I hope Marielle Woods gets a feature for it because I want to know the story. I want to know the story. I want to know what she hasn't told um, her. Yeah, I do. I really do. I think about this all the time. It's like Dawn of the Deaf, you know? Like, I'm waiting for that. Yeah, where is the Dawn of the Deaf feature? I don't know. I don't know. One day. One day. One day. One day. Yeah, okay. Next up, we have Scream 5. Scream 5, which is obviously not directed by Wes Craven. It was directed by the guys who made Ready or Not. That one was kind of polarizing for Scream franchise fans. But I think because it came out like right at the start of the year. And I think the previous film that I'd just seen was Matrix. So watching Matrix 4 and Scream 5 back to back was actually very incredible in the way that they're both metafictions that look at reboots. Um, and so I that's probably one of the reasons why I really enjoyed Scream 5 a lot. I actually love Scream 4, but the whole, the only way to survive a horror movie these days is to be gay. But it always kind of really puzzled me because um, as much as queer horror has taken off, it's still very homophobic. But yeah, I do really love that um, Jasmine Savoy Brown is in this movie and she survives. I actually was intending to marathon the screams so that I could talk about this with you, but I didn't get around to it. But I, I will I will say that I was very excited to see one of my OG crushes from when I was a kid, Hayden Panettiere, in the trailer for the new oh, yeah. one. I was like, yeah, Hayden, yeah, she's she's back Hayden. for this new one for Scream VI. I was very excited to see that. The new one actually looks really good, but it's just really sad that Neve Campbell is not in this. Like, it's baffling to me that they let this happen and just very unfair. I like the way that they really upped the horror. Not that the Scream movies aren't genuinely scary, but there was something very, like the deaths in in this one were very emotional and a lot more, like they felt a lot more serious than just like, ah ha ha, it's a slasher, of course you're going to get slashed. Yeah, it's it's interesting, like the approach that they took. But yeah, I sobbed uh, when Redacted died. Mm. But yeah, um, Scream 5 and Matrix 4, they're the perfect double feature in the way that they talk about reboot meta. And I especially love what this movie had to say about elevated, quote unquote, elevated horror and like the A24ification uh, of horror, which is a problem in my opinion. Next up, we have Badaido, which translates to give good news. So it's an Indian film directed by Rajkumar Rao. It's about a lavender marriage plot between a gay Indian man and a gay Indian woman who just decide to get married to get their families off their backs. And it's so corny, but it makes me sob so much because it's just so sweet seeing like the solidarity and the love. When I started watching this movie, I think you meet the woman first. Um, and I was like, oh, I wonder who the guy is going to be, you know, that, that she's going to enter this lavender marriage with. And I kept sort of looking at, and then as soon as the guy comes in with his little Freddie Mercury mustache, I was like, ah, (laughs) that's him. (laughs) He is. But no, it's really lovely. And I love how it keeps, like this movie, the yes end of Mm. this movie is crazy. Like it just keeps going. It keeps escalating. Like you would think that this movie, you know, I feel like if if there was like a Western movie like this, it wouldn't yes end this much. But it just keeps Mm -hmm. going. Like, oh, what happens after a year? What happens 
if people want them to have kids? What happened? Like, it just, it answers everything. Everything. Yeah, it looks at the lavender marriage and like the dynamics of that and the family tensions relating to that and also like stuff about child adoption and pretty hilarious trying to hide their real partners from other people. Just the shenanigans shenanigans. brilliant. The shenanigans. It's super corny, but also I haven't cried harder in a movie for a long time at like something that made me so happy. Next up, we have uh, my favorite film of the year, Blue Kaftan, The Blue Kaftan. I'm so jealous that you've seen this. (laughs) It's coming out in March here. Finally. Yeah. But yeah, it's The Blue Kaftan, directed by Mariam Tozani. She directed the 2019 Moroccan film Adam, which is also one of my favorite films. The Blue Kaftan, it's about a tailor. He and his wife are in their like late 50s, 60s, and he's a tailor who specializes in handmade kaftans. His wife does know that he's gay uh, or bisexual. It's a bit, It's a bit unclear, but that's fine. And he falls in love with his new apprentice at work. There's a scene in Adam where... The two women are kneading dough together. I love that scene. It's so like I couldn't breathe watching that scene because it's so intimate and so God, the I don't tension. I can't I know. The tension, the tension is so thick. But also it's like poetry. Yeah, know? it's, it's like, like poetry. But yeah, you like I couldn't breathe watching that scene. And this movie, Blue Kaftan, is like that. Maybe obviously not culminating in such a huge scene, but you still feel like little bursts of that throughout the movie. It just, it drives me insane the way that it makes you feel. So, you know, because they're tailors and he's he's teaching this guy how to sew. So there's lots of, you know, he's like holding his hand and like as they're sewing and it's, oh, it's so intimate. Wow. It's so intimate. Oh, I have the biggest smile on my face right now talking about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I guess, yeah, this is another kind of lavender marriage movie. But yeah, like he and his wife, like they do really love each other. And the love between them is so, so, it makes me ache. But uh, she's also dying of cancer. Um, So it's also about how he and his apprentice start to take care of her and how they become like a family. Wow. Next up, we've got Joyland, which is, oh, the brown people have been killing it this year. Um, (laughs) Joyland, directed by Saim Sadiq. Um, it's one of Pakistan's first major LGBT films. Had like a couple of nods. Been shortlisted for a lot of things throughout this award season. Never actually gets nominated, which is sad, but whatever. Mm. It's still really nice to see that it got to this level. It's also the first Pakistani film that played at Cannes and it won the jury prize at Cannes. So like that's that's a huge award anyway. And it's about this guy named Heather and he starts working at an erotic dance theater and he becomes the backup dancer in one of the main acts to this woman called Biba who is trans um, and he falls in love with her. Something that's really beautiful about this film and why it's one of my favorite films of the year, um, even though the main character is a brown man and he's struggling to live up to his dad's, you know, patriarchal expectations of masculinity and virility, etc. Um, I do love like this film, like the way that this film looks at women's experiences is so, is so real. Wow. Women's experiences in Pakistan and within this kind of Muslim society, especially. There's obviously Biba and her experiences as a, as a trans woman, but also the experience of um, Heather's wife and her story is uh, it's so delicate in the way that it handles it. So Nude Tuesday is a New Zealand-Australian joint venture directed by Amagan Ballantine. It's a brutal marriage movie, but it's in gibberish and it's very bisexual it stars uh jackie van beek of the breaker uppers fame and also you know the original what we do in the shadows movie fame 
and it also stars Jermaine Clement of the same fame as what I just said. Because <laughs> the New Zealand community is small. And uh, it's just an incredible movie. Uh, it's one of my, it's in my top 10 films of the year. There is this married couple, their marriage is on the rocks. Um, and so like many married couples in a brutal marriage story before them, they go on a getaway and join a slightly cultish couples retreat where they're meant to get in touch with their sexual sexuality sexual side specifically for couples who are having trouble you know you know having sex with each other trying to get um, that spark back yeah trying to get that spark back the retreat is run by well it's not run by him it's it's yeah it is run by him i mean what does he do though to run it (laughs) Like in the thing, he's the, um, the cult leader. Is the cult leader is Jermaine, uh, played by Jermaine Clement. Um, and I, I mentioned this in our sex scenes episode. But you know, for for the girlies, for the peoples, for the fans who really enjoyed uh, Jermaine Clement and Jackie Van Beek's horrible sex scene in the Breaker Uppers, there is some quality content in this film for you. <laughs> But <laughs> Jermaine Clement is the swagless bisexual cult leader who charms Jackie Van Beek's character with his swagless bisexual charm, I guess. Um, <laughs> and the reason the film is called Nude Tuesday is because on Tuesdays, everyone is in the nude. Yeah. The thing that makes this movie unique is that it is filmed in the way that a foreign language film or a non-English language film... It's very would be, scenes of a marriage. ...would be made. Berkman. It's very... <laughs> It's very scenes of a marriage, Bergman, brutal marriage movie. But the thing that sets it apart is that it's all in gibberish. Like, they're not saying anything. Mm. It's like a pseudo-Scandi kind of... Mm. (laughs) I did actually attend a panel event with the actors and the director, and they talked about how they did kind of have to memorize gibberish because, you know, for the takes to be consistent, they had to be saying the same things, Mm. um, which was very funny to listen to them talk about, like, having to you know, decide what the gibberish they were going to say was going to be. The second part, the second layer, if you will, of the what makes this movie very special to me and to the world is that they wanted to make a movie that anyone could subtitle. So they did have a plot line and there are events that happen in the movie, but the subtitles are not standardised. And what the idea was they would take the film, they would make it, and then they would send it off to comedians to subtitle at the moment i believe there are three different versions of the film one is just the gibberish non-subtitled so you can just watch it raw is that the (laughs) word um and then there is a version that is written by julie davis and there's another one by ronnie chang and none of them the people that subtitled like got to communicate with each other so they are slightly different or communicate Um, with the filmmaker and like look at the original script or anything like that yeah so it it is purely their interpretation and Jackie Van Beek came up with the idea of this film along with the director because they thought it would be fun to have a film that people could like learn how to subtitle with and like people could have fun in film schools and like subtitle it themselves and teach themselves comedy basically which i think is like a really fun idea it's just fantastic one of my favorite films of the year purely because of just how fun the concept is and how hilarious it is to watch this i feel like this movie would be perfectly paired with the lobster you know I came out of this movie 
thinking that's, that's very true <laughs> thinking about the lobster and i don't know i can't prove anything but i'm like i feel like it was one of their reference films because there's yeah, definitely. like there's like moments in it that feel so similar but it's like the lobster is very dark the lobster is dealing with this in a very dark way and funny but like very dark whereas new tuesday is very silly goofy um, mm. But very clever in how it's silly, goofy. Yeah, it's excellent. Next up, we've got Flux Gourmet. Okay, so speaking of speaking of the lobster, mm. Flux Gourmet is directed by Peter Strickland, who I love. He's a freak, and he's like if Yorgos Lanthimos wasn't so fucking sad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I really love. I really love his films. I love Duke of Burgundy. Yeah, Duke of Burgundy is a really great gay film that he's made, um, and also in Fabric. But yeah, uh, Flux Gourmet is about a food ASMR band, <laughs> and it documents their experiences as a band during a residency at a very prestigious food ASMR culinary institution. It's very weird, very absurdist, and very culty as well. It's uh, I've seen it likened to This Is Spinal Tap, which is like a mockumentary about a fake band. It follows the interviewer that's um, documenting their process. And yeah, every character in this is gay or bi, but it's not really about that. It's about the creative collaboration and the tensions that come from that. Nice. Yeah, Duke of Burgundy is like brilliant, but it's very dark. So this is this is like pretty lighthearted, but also, yeah, it's it's crazy. They're insane. Next up, there's the documentary Loving Highsmith, which is directed by Ava Vitia. I love the premise of this in that they look at Patricia Highsmith's life by interviewing her ex-lovers. That's cool. Yeah, they track down like three or four of them and interview them about her life. I don't really have much to say about the film itself. It's very, it's a very hydrographic picture of Patricia Highsmith. It's got some interesting stuff on like the development of Carol or The Price of Salt. But only in the last five minutes of this documentary does it mention Patricia Highsmith's anti-blackness and anti-Semitism. And then it moves on in a way that gives you like serious whiplash that makes you go, wait, what? Oh, God. So, yeah, as I said, it's very hagiographic. But yeah, I do love like as a concept, if you want to find out about someone's life, like interview their exes, especially like a lesbian's life. I think it's worth a watch, but also, yeah, just be a bit critical. Don't take away just this image of Patricia Highsmith in your head. Next up, Bodies, 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 directed by Helena Rain. Yay! Which, yeah, I think was great representation for the podcast girlies. Um, just for that one scene where Rachel Sennett is like, it's really hard. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it is hard. Yeah, we agree. I just love seeing Rachel Sennett because she yeah, she's brilliant. is one of my favorite films and she's just brilliant. Like, she's so good. Yeah, it's a pretty fun just slasher about a group of vapid mid-20-year-old somethings who all actually kind of hate each other and I think like the characters were very real and that like I definitely know people like this or just like slightly exaggerated versions of this but another thing is like I don't really know about the longevity of this movie because so much of it is so specific to like this period of time and to like this specific age group that I don't know how it'll fare. I think it'll be a cult classic for our age group. That's what it will be, you know? And I think that's like a very fun thing for it to be, you know? Hmm. Yeah, I do want to say though, like a drawback for this movie for me was that it was Apple iPhone propaganda because I refuse to believe that her phone battery lasted all night long. No, it definitely. Not with the torch no on. Way. Are you no crazy? No way. With the torch you, on the whole crazy? time? No, no. I feel like that should have been more of a problem. Um, really? Like, 
<laughs> um, next up, uh, we've got Sissy, which is an Australian film directed by Hannah Barlow and Kane Sennies. It's like Australian bodies, bodies, bodies in a way. Oh. In that a bunch of young zillennials out at an isolated rich person's house um, getting picked off one by one. So it stars Aisha D. Of Saddle Club fame. Of Saddle Club fame. Um, and she is an influencer who runs into her best friend from primary school and her best friend's getting married and she just gets invited along to the engagement party and then the bachelorette party that takes place in, in isolation in the, in the bush. And her friend is gay and getting gay married, but that's not really important wow. for this story. Yeah, so this movie is representation for the people who were like pretty normal in high school slash primary school except for the one time that they snapped and that's the only thing people remember about them in the way that Aisha D is like so cut off from all their friends who only remember this one thing that she did when she was in primary school but yeah this is just a really fun slasher the kind of similar sorts of characters to bodies 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 but uh yeah you know it's in it's in australia it's in the bush it's really fun and colorful and pretty do they i have a question do they do they acknowledge like is there like weird racism in it like or something uh i think it's heavily implied honestly okay Okay. You can never can tell with an Australian. The w- definitely like the way that they portray in the flashbacks back in primary school, very much so. Mm. So it's a really fun kind of daylight horror sort of Ooh. thing. It's set in the bush. It's very colorful and and really funny. And uh, it's got one of the best one of the best endings of a horror film that I've seen in a while. It's like the antithesis to the bodies 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 ending in like huh. a very fun way. Next up, we have Phoenix Rising which came out, I think, earlier on in the year. I think it came out March, but I didn't watch it until very recently. And I think that's important for me to mention because this came out in February, March. I watched it towards the end of the year after I'd witnessed the heinousness that was the Amber Heard trial. And the reason I mentioned that will become clear in a minute. But like this Phoenix Rising is a documentary about Evan Rachel Wood's anti-domestic violence advocacy post- her relationship with Marilyn Manson and in the documentary she does talk about her bisexuality and how the fact that she was open about her bisexuality was used against her like by the media and by fans of Manson when she spoke out even though she didn't name Manson like people kind of knew and so she she breaks that down like she talks about that a lot throughout the documentary and she also talks about how like Manson himself like used that against her it's a really tough watch. Um, it's not something that you should watch if you have any like vulnerabilities to issues of domestic violence and abuse. But I, I was not aware that um, Evan Rachel Wood was doing so much um, like domestic violence advocacy, and it, t- and it really focuses on like how she's collaborated with all these different advocacy groups for domestic violence, and she's actually managed to get like legislation changed in like several states that changes the statute Hmm. of limitations because in a lot of American states the statute of limitations on domestic violence is only two years which is not enough (laughs) you know when you consider how long it takes a lot of people to get out of these relationships and be able to come to terms with what's happened to them. I was quite emotional watching it especially in light of what we'd seen throughout the year with other figures like Meg the Stallion and Amber Heard who came forward with intimate partner violence and what we saw like happen to them in the media this documentary that Evan has made is 
very much part of all that. Um, it shows like that pattern. Yes, it shows that pattern. It shows that like these aren't isolated incidents. That like there is a system that allows men to perpetuate this and a huge part of that system is that domestic violence is so hard to to charge to convict because in part of like how limited amount of time you have to report it before it can't be considered but yeah it's a very tough watch but it's actually really incredible to watch not only her but there is a scene where she speaks to other survivors of Manson's abuse and it is really powerful to see someone lay out the patterns that this is not an isolated incident. And obviously, I can't emphasize this enough. If you have any any kind of experience or like vulnerability with this, like really, it, it goes into a lot of detail and I wouldn't recommend it. But yeah, it's just a really great thing. And I'm a huge fan of Evan Rachel Wood. And I've noticed that she sort of hasn't been in a lot of stuff uh, other than Westworld and you know, this documentary was good for me in the sense that I was like, oh, this is what she's been doing. This is very cool. Um, but of course, like, we wouldn't hear about it because, of course, you wouldn't. Uh, but yeah, really great doco. Evan Rachel Wood, I love you. That's all I have to say. Uh-huh. Yeah, you say this like you don't fucking hate Dolores. <laughs> <laughs> How could I hate Dolores? She's the guy, you know? She makes everything happen. Like, I, What I, do you mean? <laughs> Like, you know, she causes you, all the trouble. I okay, do hate you never Dolores. said that. You never said that. You I never, never said, said that. that. <laughs> I never said that I hated Dolores. No, okay. Like, I do hate Dolores, but I love Evan Rachel Wood. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a dichotomy. It's a, yeah. it's a, yeah. <laughs> anyway. And I'm sad now because what am I going to see Evan Rachel Wood in? You know, mm. like, what am I going to see her in? Guess you got to watch True Blood. <laughs> no. <laughs> Okay. But on a side note, you know, just everyone should watch the Weird Al movie. Where she plays Madonna. Where she plays Madonna. Oof. Everyone, everyone I feel should like watch that it. should be like an honorary gay film of the I year. I think it is. Like, I think they played them as bye for bye, which is like, you know, that, yeah. that was iconic of them to do. Mm. You know, Daniel Radcliffe being the short king that he is. Even with the hair, like, she was still taller than him. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay, moving on, uh, we have They Slash Them, which uh, is a Bloomhouse horror film directed by John Logan, who is gay, allegedly. It's very difficult to believe, given the film. <laughs> yeah, so this movie was absolutely made for the gag title, They Slash Them, a slasher set in a conversion therapy camp. And That's uh, so it was fun. most Yeah, it was most absolutely made for the gag title, which is a bit evil in the way that like gender neutral pronouns have become like a gimmick to so many people, like a joke, which I don't like. I don't like that, like, first of all, that this perpetuates that. Um, but also the movie itself. Um, so the only thing I can actually credit this movie with is that, you know, when the trailer came out, we thought this would all be about a bunch of gay kids in a conversion therapy camp getting hate crimed by a slasher killer. But it's actually not. Um, they're still being hate crimed, though, you know, because <laughs> because they're in a conversion therapy camp. Um I don't know. Obviously, like, it was, it's stupid to have expected anything from this movie, I know. But the thing is, like, you could have made a horror movie that looked at the way that, like, Christian or other religious groups have adapted their conversion therapy methods to seem less like child abuse in these modern times. But instead, it's just, like, this, this film is just this incredibly insensitive mess. 
Um, and also, I'm going to spoil the ending because don't watch this movie. But I think it's really fucked up that the killer was like a previous victim of the camp and she was framed as bad for wanting to take revenge through violence. Well, Wait, get the, the fuck slasher out of here. isn't a they them? They didn't even make the slasher a they? Terrible. I mean, the main character is non-binary. That's why. Um, oh. I think it's called that one other trans character um, in the movie. A horror slasher is the last time you would see this kind of shit being moralized so liberally. Like, oh, if you're, if you're, if you, you know, exact violence, you're just as bad as them. No, no, you're not. <laughs> no, you really aren't. These people are child abusers. Like, getting their heads chopped off is like the least that should have happened to them. But yeah, that was yeah, complete waste of two hours. But uh, hardly anyone watched it anyway, so it's just gonna be buried in the history of sludge. As that it is, should. that is Bloomhouse. Speaking of Bloomhouse, though, I am really mad that they cancelled Karen Kusama's Mina Harker Dracula movie. I'm so mad, Mary. You remember what I said in our Jennifer's Body thing, where I thought mm. that she might be making a Mina Harker movie with this Dracula adaptation, and then it turns out she was, but then it got Kent. We live in truly inhospitable times for <laughs> it's happiness. Yeah, you know, this is my Joker origin story. It's, it's mm. terrible. It's terrible. Um, speaking of terrible... Next film is Bros, written by Billy Eichner, starring Billy Eichner. This movie was supposed to be a very big deal in that it was like the first major... Studio. First major, major studio. First major studio film, you know, a rom-com about gay men, uh, written by a gay man, starring gay men. It's kind of basic. It's it's very basic, but also like, I feel like in a year that Fire Island came out as well, like... It's just, it just feels a bit silly to, like, even say it. I also think, I don't think this film, like, even though he kind of marketed it that way, I actually yeah. don't think this film was for the gays. Yeah. I enjoyed it more, like, when I thought about it, but at the time watching it, I said to Daya at the time, I said to you, I was like, I don't know, it's, it's kind of weird because I feel like we have these conversations all the time and I'm kind of yeah. bored watching it because I'm like, I know this, I say this to my friends, like, uh -huh. I don't, it just feels strange. It feels to... very basic mm. because, yeah, I guess because it is a, like the first major studio production like this that it just feels so basic. I actually, I would say I did like this movie, but the merits that I see in it take way too long to explain, so I'm just gonna, I'm just not gonna bother. Um, yeah. <laughs> let it fall through the cracks. I respect that he stayed in his lane. You know, he could have easily, like, you know, written something that, you know, where he tried to speak for everyone and it ended up being a really huge mess. And I, I just still think it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen when he, like, took the steroids like one shot of steroids and he has road ra like roid rage from one shot <laughs> and he can't even like do anything with it like he's trying to be all ragey and like hulking out but he can't lift anything or move anything i think uh, like the historical roller coaster um that's narrated by bo and yang that's like you have made it through <laughs> And now for the Obama administration. It's so good. Sorry, this just sounds I, so random out of context. But there are like a bunch of really good jokes throughout this There are some great jokes in this. Excellent. I appreciate it because like I've met people like him and it feel it felt like I was watching like a real person. Gonna I was gonna write in my letterbox review like something silly. I was gonna be like, oh, so when 
Billy Eichner is a loser with a podcast who's like chronically sing- single. Like he can make a movie out of it, but when I do it, it's just like my life or something, you know? Like, <laughs> but. <laughs> But no, I liked how, like, sort of real he felt, like, in that same vein of, like, he just talks like he's a person working through these things rather than, like, a person who already has, like, all the answers and they're, like, didactically Mm. teaching the audience, you know? There is an element of that, but it's, like, done in a way where it feels like, oh, he's working through this too. No, it's done in a way where it's, like, he's really, he seems, like, really tired of it. Yeah. Like, we when we watch Bros and we think, God, this is so basic. Maybe I'm giving him too much credit for this. But, like, you definitely have this impression that this character is so tired (laughs) of explaining these really basic things. Um, Which, yeah, if you want to view the film in that way, it's it's a lot more enjoyable, I'd say. But, yeah, speaking of the podcasting thing, worst podcast representation of the year. In my opinion, he doesn't really have a podcast. Like he just has a podcast at the beginning of the movie to like, you know, give us some exposition about his life. Mm. And then he just stops. You know, this is a rom-com. Just do the voiceover. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah, it's fine. I love a rom-com voiceover. Next up, oh, I want to dance with somebody. The Whitney Houston biopic directed by Cassie Lemons, starring Naomi Aki as uh, Whitney Houston. I just want to say that... First and foremost, um, from the writers of Bohemian Rhapsody is not the selling point that you think it is. Ew, is um, that what they s- Oh, no. Yeah, it's on all the posters. So, yeah, we've talked about LGBT biopics before on this podcast famously, and it pretty much has the same problem as old music biopics that have come out recently in that it's a very much just a speed run through this person's very long career that doesn't really take time to breathe or do anything it's just relentlessly moving forward um until it stagnates during the (sighs) during the during the drug abuse phase of the person's life and um yeah i mean it's it's a it's pretty hard to have a bad time listening to Whitney Houston music. <laughs> but we still need to ban biopics. Um, I did really enjoy, like, I really love everyone involved in this movie. Cassie Lemons is there, Naomi Aki is great, um, Ashton Sanders as well. One thing that I was pleasantly surprised about with this film is that it doesn't erase Whitney Houston's romantic relationship with Robin Crawford. But as I said, this movie is very much a speed run, so it just it just moves on way too quickly for any of it to hold any bearing. But yeah. It's hard to have a bad time listening to Whitney Houston music, but, you know, I still think biopics need to be banned. Um, also, and you're um, right. And fuck you're you, right. Baz Luhrmann. This is an anti-Baz Luhrmann podcast, okay? Yeah. Forever and always. Forever and always. Crush came out this year. Uh, it is a coming-of-age rom-com about two high school girls who fall in love, you know? Like, that's that's it. It's a, it's a rom-com. It stars Awaley Cravalho and Warren Blanchard, both of whom are openly gay actors. It's deleted now, but Awaley, because she had used to have TikTok, and someone commented like, "Why are you doing a movie with Rowan Blanchard, who's like biphobic?" And she did a TikTok with that comment over her face, and was just like, "Money's money," or whatever. <laughs> She deleted it, unfortunately, but it was very iconic. <laughs> that was what convinced me to watch the film, actually. <laughs> my favorite part of that movie was Michelle Buteau, actually, who played the principal. Oh, okay. She was my favorite part. She was really funny. All right. I have nothing else to say. Moving on. My Policeman. Uh, we talked about this heaps in our sex scenes episode. 
Uh, so go and listen to that. I don't think we have anything to say that we didn't say there. Yeah, it's so. a movie about two guys going at it. <laughs> or not, according to Harry Styles. This is the movie that made me watch But I Do because I was messaging Daya and I was like, this movie would be so powerful if both... This movie could be so powerful because so much of this movie is just the three of them, the trio of like Harry, his boyfriend and his wife going out being friends together. But then, you know, Harry and the boyfriend, you know, secretly going at it, as he said. They're not going at it. They're not going at it. As he said. I said that that would be, this would be such a powerful movie. And Daya, like, just messaged me back, like, watch Bad Do, And I did. And that was the better Lavender Marriage movie. And the thing that I really hated most about this movie, even though it was mostly just fine, but I think the thing that's most egregious about it is that it paints the woman as the most victimized of the three because Ugh. she was married to a gay man. And I'm not saying that that wouldn't have had its own unique difficulties. However, like, you know... A man marrying you because he wants to avoid literal prison. I think I can tell which is the greatest Watch struggle. Watch the there. blue caftan. Watch um, the blue caftan. Watch Badaido. Yeah, literally weakest lavender marriage film of the year. My policeman. Yeah. Uh, moving on. Oh, anything's possible. This was Billy Porter's directorial debut it's a coming of age rom-com about a black trans teen girl it is a little instructive in places like you can tell they're taking this opportunity to teach people like what you should and shouldn't say if you're dating a trans person but it's still very lovely and it's still very funny and i really loved all the characters and as far as a directorial debut goes it's pretty good Hmm. no notes um i I think to see it i really want to I think Billy Porter, like, using his platform and to use his directorial debut to tell a story like this is really great because it's not the kind of thing I grew up seeing a lot of, so I'm, like, really happy. Like, I know we bag on Crush and other things, but I am really happy that, like, kids growing up now Mm. have these films and can see themselves in them. Like, Anything's Possible is just another one of those films where the whole time I was like, wow, I can't imagine like what it would have been like to have access to a film like this growing up. Yeah. Oh, another bestie. Oh my gosh, I love this movie so much. It's actually one of my favorite films of the year. My Fake Boyfriend. It's a gay rom-com directed by lesbian icon Rose Trochet about Keenan Lonsdale uh, falling in love with a beautiful Lebanese chef who is played by Samir Samir Salem, who has my last name. Isn't that exciting? Oh, are you Um, related? We might be. No joke. (laughs) No joke. I mean, I know that's... Salem is like the most common name in Lebanon and Palestine, Salem. so we're probably not, but like, you know. Okay. <laughs> the premise is like so perfect, silly, goofy, convoluted rom com premise. The premise is that Keenan Lonsdale just broke up with his long term booty call, who was a piece of shit white guy. Oh, also, Keenan Lonsdale in this film is a, a stuntman. That's his job. Oh. Love it. That's why when I saw the trailer for Polite Society, I was like, oh, cool, another stunt person comedy movie. This is great. Um, but anyway, uh, Keenan Lonsdale is a stuntman. His long-term booty call is the actor who he's being a stunt person for, and he's really not very nice to, to Keenan Lonsdale, but Keenan Lonsdale is very hung up on him. So his best friends, who are both bisexual, played by Sarah Hyland, and I think this one is – I think it's Cole Sprouse in this movie. Is it Cole oh. or Dylan? Hang I on. don't know. <laughs> Does it matter? 
No, it does because this is the one I had a crush on as a kid, so it does oh, matter. Okay. <laughs> it's not the one that's in Riverdale. So it's the- Dylan. Dylan, yes, it's Dylan. Okay. Um, so I thought everyone had a crush on Cole back in the day. Not me, baby. Oh, okay. <laughs> Dylan Sprouse and Sarah Highland play Lonsdale's by besties and. Dylan Sprouse is a web developer and he decides that in order to keep Keenan's weird white men from hooking up with him, he creates a whole AI fake boyfriend for Keenan and like posts about him oh. on social media. And like the joke of this is that the boyfriend becomes like a full on influencer, like with 2 billion followers. And Keenan is supposedly like in this relationship with this person that what? doesn't exist. Oh, and, oh, okay. And Dylan Sprouse <laughs> ends up like having to like AI himself into being this fake man, um, so that he can make money out of it. It's so funny. It's honestly insane. Like this movie. At one point, they have to kill. <laughs> they <What>? have to kill. <laughs> this so- murder in this. <laughs> There's murder, but it's not really murder because, like, the boyfriend isn't alive. It's just an AI. <laughs> but, like, Dylan Sprouse is, like, so attached to him. Oh, oh we can I talk like, about this in our, in our spec fic. <laughs> I was, like, laughing so hard, like, in this movie. This movie is genuinely so funny. There's so many sequences of Kenan, like, hooking up with these, like, random guys who then find out his boyfriend is this very famous influencer and he has to, like, try not to tell them that he's fake, like, it's not real. But then, of course, the whole thing is that he meets Samir's character and, like, genuinely falls in love with him. But Samir also follows the fake boyfriend on Instagram and knows that they knows, quote unquote, that Kenan, like, isn't single. And so it's, like, the only solution... <laughs> The only solution is that Dylan Sprouse has to kill him. And the funeral that they have. (laughs) Okay. This movie is so funny. I literally, this is why I said it's like my favorite. Don't give the whole thing away. (laughs) I won't give the whole thing away, but oh my goodness, this is so funny. Unfortunately, like even though everything I just said to you sounds like the perfect silly goofy rom-com, Unfortunately, I had to dock it half a star because Samir's character is Lebanese and there's a scene where he's talking about Balewe, but he doesn't say Balewe. He says the more common name that's used for it, which is Baklava. And I can't believe they had a Lebanese person call it Baklava. No Lebanese person calls it that because we have huge beef with the Greeks and so we don't call it that. We call it Balewe. Why didn't he not say anything? Maybe because he's a relatively new actor, I don't know, but I was just very deeply upset by that. Five stars except for that, but yeah. The thing I will say as well is that it was really nice to see a rom-com with two people of colour like as the leads, like two mm. men of colour. You very rarely see that with straight rom-coms, let alone queer rom-coms. Uh, next up, we've got Do Revenge, directed by Jennifer Caton Robinson, which is like if Thoroughbreds was made on TikTok. <laughs> it's true. So yeah, this movie is about uh, Camilla Mendes, and she goes to some like uber prestigious high school, and she's a top student, but uh, her life gets ruined when her boyfriend leaks her nudes, and she befriends a little lesbian named Maya Hawke to get revenge on him. They do, they do the revenge. 
yeah, this is this is honestly a pretty fun movie. I thought the little bits in it were great. I had an amazing time. I have issues with the whole thing of like all the rich to privileged bullies being ethnically diverse. Like I thought that was like, come on. Colorblind casting, <laughs> just our let, worstie. Just, just let white people be white. Come on. Mm-hmm. Something I really didn't like was like the lesbophobic use of the word lesbian mm. in this movie. Yeah, Maya Hawke's character is gay and they talk about it very openly and stuff. But the two times that they actually say the word lesbian in the f- implies it as like a really like evil and predatory word, which I just I just hate. I just hate the way that people are so scared of the word lesbian now these days that like no one that it's even like considered unfashionable at some point. Like, come on. Really? find the whole complex around the word lesbian like i understand why it exists to a certain extent but it's just like it's bizarre to me like because like in that movie my hawk is a lesbian like she is a lesbian but she doesn't call herself that and the only time she does is like you said in this really horrible way even though yeah it's it's really sad yeah uh tiktok thoroughbreds everyone next up we have bones and all Directed by Luca Guadagnino, who I don't like. But I did really (laughs) love this movie, actually. I love this movie. It's a road trip movie about two cannibals. um, And Mm. one of them, Taylor Russell, is the main character. She's kind of coming to terms with her cannibalism, I guess. Mm -hmm. And finding her community. And, uh, yeah, she goes on a road trip looking for her mom to kind of get some answers about how, why she's like this basically Mm. and you know she picks up timmy chalamet on the way or he picks her up on the way i don't know they find each other man this movie is just very clearly one big my own private idaho homage which is probably one of the reasons why i really loved it i wrote a piece this year that i'm really proud of about like the way that cannibalism the way that we use cannibalism in media is like shifting to like use it to talk about like community dynamics And I wrote about how this film, like, very clearly, like, and cleverly, and it's based on a book as well, very clearly uses, like, cannibalism as a metaphor or an allegory for, like, for being gay or being disabled or being, An addict or... An addict or, you know, there's, there's a great many things you could put in place of the cannibalism in this movie and it would still make sense. I think that's really cool. You know, if you can come out of this movie like feeling sad for these characters because they eat people and they can't help it, you know, maybe you can find it in your heart to like have more empathy for people around you. Mm. I saw this with my dad and we both had an excellent time. And my even my dad, like this is what I mean when I say people who say this movie like romanticizes cannibalism really bugs me because my own dad got that it was like a metaphor. No one is saying... <laughs> No, people are no saying is, that. Well, I mean, yeah, people are saying that, but those are people that, like, don't know how to pass a metaphor. Like, Yeah, I know. Like, this but movie like, is made for adults that can. <laughs> I will forever remember this movie as the movie that made me understand why people like Timothy Chalamet. Um, oh, okay. That was, like, very difficult for me because I have never been a fan of Little Timmy. Um, <laughs> I have struggled with him. Because I, I don't believe that he should be a leading man. Uh, this was a belief that I've held for a long time. But this film, I was like, there were several moments where I caught myself being like, oh, I get it. And uh, <laughs> I appreciated him in this movie and I liked his outfits. <laughs> I was like, you know, my dad leaned over to me at one point was like, you'd wear something like that. I was like, yeah, I would. <laughs> 
So, you know, I I appreciate that. And, you know, oh, yeah, it is. It's on the list because, well, Luca Guadagino is is gay, but also, like, because little Timmy is bisexual. He's a bisexual cannibal. And he has a tattoo on his arm (laughs) that says Adam and Eve and Steve or something. (laughs) Because, you know, that's what you do when you're a bisexual cannibal. You, like, you wear it on your freaking arm, man. For me, it's not that I dislike Little Timmy himself, um, but I just have I just have so many issues with his filmography and and the mm. movies that he's in. Like a lot of them, they just make me so angry that like I'm not gonna watch this shit like Dune and stuff. Like it just really bugs me. Like every movie that he's been in really bugs me. So I'm just not used to looking at Little Timmy. Um, <laughs> at at sorry, Little Timmy is what my uni professor refers to him as, and I just I ca- I can't stop. Sorry. But yeah, so like one thing watching this film, because, you know, I'm just not used to looking at Timmy Chalamet. So like I would be so immersed in this movie and then it would cut to a wide shot of him and I'd be and it would be so jarring. I'm like, why is this boy so long? You know, like, (laughs) oh, you and my dad both. My dad kept leaning over to me being like, he's so skinny. (laughs) No, not skinny. He's long. (laughs) He's long. I don't know. <laughs> like, and especially like with the way that his jeans were cut as well. I was like, that this is so weird. This is so weird. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a it's a great movie. I was very surprised that I enjoyed when it. When he had I'm the glad fedora I on, I could not stop laughing. I was like, <laughs> this movie is so funny. Um <laughs> I really love the scene when they're in the back of the truck and he's like who is your first time? And she's like, my babysitter. And he's like, oh my God, me too. <laughs> no, I think it's the other way around or something. Is it? Oh, it doesn't matter. Same thing. Yeah, I'm reading the book and uh, they've swapped it. So in the movie, like it's her dad, Andre Holland, who she grows up with, who's caring for her this whole time. But in the in the book, it is her mom. I think the My Own Private Idaho of it all is just very strong um, when you watch this movie because it's about searching for your mother. Yeah, this is a beautiful movie. Um, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, I love you. I, I, Mark Rylance is so gross. <gasps> Nightmare fuel. He's so fuel. gross in this. Nightmare He's, fuel. Oh, when he like dribbles the slot. Uh, disgusting. <laughs> disgusting. Dr- uh, no, don't like this. Don't like that. Uh, moving on from that, we have After Sun. It's directed by Charlotte Wells, who is gay. Um, the movie itself is only like a teeny tiny bit gay, but it's a, it's an excellent film anyway and I cried so much yeah it's about this woman this adult woman she's a lesbian but that doesn't matter and she's uh looking back at her time at the last time uh that she spent with her father which was on when she was like nine years old on holiday in Turkey and her father's um played by Paul Maskell uh who got an Oscar nomination for it congrats trying to understand as an adult like what she saw as a child watching him and like his behavior in this last time that she saw him um on this holiday and uh it really it really got me (laughs) the way that this film uses music especially is so strong tender by blur losing my religion and also um under pressure by queen and uh i will never be able to listen to under pressure the same way I, I'm going to be thinking about it forever. Um, so yeah, it's a it's an excellent film, After Sun. Um, you will cry. You should cry. Anyway, next up we have Wendell and Wilde. It's directed by Henry Selleck and co-written by Henry Selleck and Jordan Peele. Uh, Henry Selleck, of course, like is the director of Coraline, and he also directed Nightmare Before Christmas, and, you know, the, the, all those movies. <laughs> yeah. All the... 
All the dark oh, those movies claim- that people think are Tim Burton movies. Yeah, yeah, which they kind of are, some of them, but yeah. They're not just know. his. They're not just <laughs> Put his. Put some respect you know. on Henry Selleck's have, name. Have some respect. Read the credits, for Christ's sake. Mm-hmm. But uh, Wendell and Wilde is Henry Selleck's latest creation, and it is, of course, very wonderful. It follows a young woman called Kat who has been sort of cursed her whole life. Her parents die in a car accident and then she makes a wish for like two demons to come and help her bring her parents back from the dead. And these demons are, of course, the titular Wendell and Wilde voiced by uh, Key and Peele. (laughs) I literally just, in my head, that's like just Key and Peele. Yeah. And it is such a fun little movie. This is one of the movies I added to my private list on Letterboxd, which is movies that look like the inside of my brain because Mm. it's very batshit in how it plays out, but it's also deeply anti-capitalist, like, from the beginning. And also, like, there's a whole monologue in this movie where they condemn the prison industrial complex, so... We love to see it. And the reason it's on this list is because uh, there's a character called Raul, who is Kat's bestie in the film, and he's trans. Kat is sent to, like, a girl's school, but Raul is there. And he's the only boy at this school, which is kind of a hint. But then there's this scene where he shows Kat a picture of him when he used to be friends with the popular girls, and he was he was presenting as, as a girl Free transition. Then. Yeah, pre-transition. It's a really nice scene because Kat just says, like, I can't believe you had, like, a poodle hairstyle as well. (laughs) It's really, like, subtle, but it's there. Like, it's very much, like, it's not subtext. It's literally part of the story. There's a great piece in Time magazine about how animations are, like, revolutionizing trans rep and discussing how Raul from Wendell and Wilde and Barney from the tragically cancelled Netflix horror animated series Dead End Paranormal Park, which is just really cute. It's about a trans boy, a trans teenage boy who's gay and he gets a job at a haunted theme park. Uh, the article is by Laura Zanosa and it features like all these interviews with queer animators who worked on both of those both of those projects and also like the actors who are also LGBT, like both the actors who play like Raul and Barney are also trans. Um, and they just talk about how like the medium of animation like gives them a lot of freedom to like express trans stories in in ways that sort of are limited with real life stuff. You know, there's a really nice bit where they talk about how it really just gives them the freedom, like, to feel seen and have cool stories with trans characters in them that don't center on, like, you know, on them coming out or on horrible things. Uh, Mm -hmm. I personally think if I ranked Henry Selleck in my head, this would probably be my favorite, which is saying something because I love Coraline, like, so much. Really fun. And I love the character design for everyone in it. Yeah, no, it's really cool. So cool, so cool. Um, Yeah, so if you haven't watched it already, I was pleasantly surprised by the trans rep in it. I was not expecting that, and it was just a lovely, just another thing. Again, why I added it to the list of movies that look like the inside of my brain. Like, mm-hmm. And the soundtrack is so cool because Kat, like, loves punk rock music. Mm-hmm. So there's all these, like, punk rock songs, and they're all by black bands um and stuff it's very cool it's just such a cool movie like that's literally the only word i can use for it. it's the coolest thing i've ever seen i can't believe we never thought that like a jordan peele and henry Selleck collaboration but like it's like a match made in heaven yeah 
when you think about what they do in their respective fields. Oh, and next up we have my favorite. This is like, I think this is like my third favorite film of the year in my little ranking. Uh, we have Sirens, which is a documentary about the Lebanese heavy metal band Slave to Sirens, who are all women. It's kind of weird to compare it to this because they are real people, but if you like We Are Lady Parts and the gay storyline in that, this is this is the real version of that. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is the real life version of this. Like, I think when we saw it, Day, like, you said to me, like, I couldn't help thinking of the parallels, even <laughs> though that's a real person. Yeah. And it was just really cool for me to see lots of Lebanese women doing very cool things that I can, like, connect to on the screen large. Like, a huge disconnect I have is that, like, I don't always think that I, like, look Lebanese. And then, like, when I see things like this, I go, oh, they have the same nose as me. Oh, I have eyebrows like that. Like, Mm. it's just very nice. It makes me feel very seen. We need to go to Western Sydney more often. We do. Yeah, I should take you. But it's just because, like, I've just grown up with such a, like, a disconnect from other Lebanese people that aren't my family. So I just have this thing. And I don't always realize I have it until I'm watching something about Lebanese people. And I go, oh, (laughs) my people, Um, which I know is very lame, but that's just how it is. But, yeah, this movie, Sirens, apparently it was bought by HBO Max. But uh, as we said before, where is it? Where is it? I'm just realizing now, like, so many of the stories that I've enjoyed recently are all, they're all about, like, creative collaboration and about, like, those sorts of friendships and how, and how that changes some friendship dynamics, like Mythic Quest and the Bear and Flock's Gourmet and everything. So Sirens is really interesting, like, how, like, all the different intersections of their identity factor in to how the dynamic in the band works and things like that. Yeah, Slave Designs, they're brilliant, brilliant music as well. So Mm. you should, if you're not able, like, I don't, we don't know where you can watch this right now. We would not know. Given everything, but go check out their music anyway, because it's amazing. I just want to say, like, some of the visual, the visuals in this documentary were outstanding. Mm. I saw this other documentary, we saw this as part of Sydney Film Festival, and I saw another documentary while I was there called um, Beirut in the Eye of the Storm, which was about, like, the fallout of the Beirut government that happened. Uh, sort of during the pandemic and also due to the big explosion that happened in the bay this was somehow like by telling these women's story that just happened to be happening against all of that was a better story like a better more like structured way of explaining what happened than the documentary I saw that was specifically trying to be about that mm. and like it, you know which is a shame because like the other film was directed by my Masri who uh she's she's a really great documentary filmmaker she does a lot of work in Palestine and stuff as well um but yeah it was just some of the shots of them you know like talking about the dates they're going to go on and there's like a protest happening behind them and they're just like you know on the side of the street you know, showing pictures of, like, the girl they're going to go out with. Hmm. There's, like, scenes where they're swimming in the water, like, against, like, the bay where the explosion happened. Like, it's just some really stunning, like, almost archival work also happening of, Hmm. like, documenting this period of time in Beirut as well, which I thought was really, really beautiful. Oh, next up. (laughs) Next up, we have My Worstie, Tar, directed by Todd Field, starring Kate Blanchett. So if this movie 
existed in a vacuum, it would be perfect. It would be like the most perfect movie ever made, um, with the exception of the last 15 extremely racist minutes. Um, but because this movie exists to win Kate Blanchett her third or fourth Oscar, it's it's so insidious. Um <laughs> Uh, so yeah, Tar is the story about a musician. She's named Lydia Tar, who is like who is extremely not real, successful. Who's not real? She like works as a conductor. She's an EGOT winner. Uh, she's a lesbian. Um, she, I don't know. She's she's got so many achievements or whatever. Um, she's basically like at the top of the game, the very top of the game. And it's about how her life starts to unravel when allegations that she's a sexual predator responsible for the suicide of one of her students uh, starts to arise. It's a very like tortured artist style movie about ego, but also it is still very much a Me Too movie, which is why I think the fact that it is a Hollywood film just doesn't work um, for me or just like for what it's trying to say, in my opinion. Um, like, I don't think, like, I feel like it just isn't, uh, I just mm. feel like a story like this could never be effective. But yeah, so this is a story that, like, you don't really, you never really learn the truth about what Lydia actually did, but it's just, yeah, showing, like, how her life falls apart because of it. It's not really the thesis, but I'd say the question of the movie is, you know, can you separate art from the artist? And I feel like Todd Field hates people under the age of 25. Um, so <laughs> mm. I feel Can like... Can you t- so talk about the bit of the, the dialogue? At- right in the middle of the movie, there's a scene. It's all shot in one take. There's so many scenes shot in one take. There's so many scenes that's just like endless monologue <laughs> to show us how brilliant Kate Blanchett is. And... Uh, but yeah, this scene in the center of the movie, she's teaching like a special class at Juilliard that's meant to be like a no phone zone, like no one's meant to have their phones on. And Lydia asks a BIPOC pangender person, a self-identified BIPOC, pan- like someone calls themselves <laughs> like she's speaking with... <laughs> Like, yeah, she's speaking with one of our students who identifies as a BIPOC pangender. Like, they say BIPOC, like, phonetically. They, I don't get I don't. They say BIPOC like the word Like, BIPOC? phonetically. Like, they say BIPOC, like BIPOC. Like, they don't say B-I-P-O-C. They don't say, I, I hate. Or they don't just say their specific they ethnicity. They don't say their specific ethnicity or anything. They just say BIPOC. Like, first of all, like, Todd Field, a white man, writing this, like, uh, no. Uh, secondly, like if you are a person of color and you use, <laughs> I hate, I hate so much hearing like I hate so much hearing people like pronounce POC as POC or BIPOC or like using POC as an adjective. That's like why I do my best to just say people of color every single time so that people don't do that because otherwise mm. it just becomes an adjective for colored, which is not great obviously um so yeah like uh, not to just not to just get hung up on this on this particular self-identification of this student but but it's it's truly baffling that like a line like that is in a script that's nominated for like best screenplay is it nominated for best screenplay fuck off yes it is um yeah Yeah. okay uh 
it really speaks to like just like this wider issue of just like a very willful like the fact that you want to write this story but also like you have no understanding of like how this generation actually like approaches these issues is so of like separating the art from the artist and like how we feel about these things is so crass can i just ask like what does he actually say to her so yeah, basically this this BIPOC pangender student yeah, yeah. <laughs> says that they uh they just they just don't fuck with Bach because they can't really they don't they're not able to separate the art from the artist. And you know, Lydia kind of she's very like slick about it and very well spoken about it in a way that argues against it, in a way that like completely trumps this person's opinions flaw of this movie is that it just like really doesn't understand how these things would work like from a how these things would work like within our generation because this film is very much made for people I don't know who are like for like millennials and boomers who believe that cancel culture actually exists very ironic well not even ironic actually I think it's very in character of Kate Blanchett to be in a film like this yeah considering like you know her support of Woody Allen and the fact that she named her child after Roman Polanski yeah like I am actually very angry that she's like winning awards for this and Mm -hmm. people are patting her on the back for like playing this martyr like I don't think this movie wants you to sympathize with Lydia which is I freaking hope not I don't like obviously the whole like she's mother thing I don't understand that Mm -hmm. but like everyone that watches the movie knows that you're not really meant to root for her but at the same time like I don't know the value that films like this that give nuance to people like this has i hated every second of tar it's like a technical masterpiece but i just couldn't do it man i couldn't do it also the last 15 minutes of this movie where she you know she does get cancelled pretty successfully um and the last 15 minutes she gets sent to i think it's either thailand or the philippines Um, Why does she get sent there? Well, she doesn't get sent there. Like, the only job that she can get as a conductor is conducting an orchestra for, like, a fan experience of a TV show of, like, Cosmo. I don't understand what it is. It's really awful. And there's some stuff where she goes to, like, a massage parlor and there's, like, sex workers there. And it's like, oh, no, look how, like, far she's sunk in where she's sent to this place that does this thing. Uh, No, fuck that. Fuck that. Um, But, yeah, actually, like, something interesting, I think, about tar is its similarities to the killing of sister george which i did mention in our sex scenes episode um so killing of sister george is like famously like one of the first uh lesbian films with an explicit sex scene in it but um the actual story itself is quite modern in that it is kind of like one of the first um cancelled lesbian stories because it's about um this woman she she plays a character called sister george who's like a nun in a british soap opera and after she sexually assaults some nuns in real life it's about like how her career crumples um but not on a public stage obviously like this is a very like quiet behind the scenes thing because this is the 60s Mm. and yeah so i thought it was really interesting like because i think um i watched tar and then i watched killing of sister george in preparation for writing our episode and i realized like how modern how like if you were to adapt killing of sister george for like the present day it would look exactly like tar it Mm. would it would basically be tar um so that's an interesting thing to think about and i think like yeah i encourage people to like visit killing of sister george and see what you think about it but uh, yeah, I hate this movie. I hate misunderstanding that this movie has for the generation and for technology. It's so corny and like kind of embarrassing, actually. 
so goofy. Like, yes, I do understand. Like, for the most part, this film is very well written in the way that it presents Lydia. And, you know, obviously, like, it's not at all trying to be sympathetic towards her. But there's something, like, really condescending about it somehow. Like, even though it's not sympathetic to her, there's something really condescending about the way it portrays the people who are trying to take her down, which I don't like. Next up, we've got Babylon, directed by Damien Chazelle, which is about the rise and fall of characters who represent, they represent various Hollywood archetypes during the transition from silent films to talkies and further into the 30s. I actually really loved this movie. Like, I know I just talked so much shit about Tar, and I feel like Tar and Babylon kind of, they want the same sort of audience, but I actually really loved Babylon. I'm very surprised at myself for it. So I think the most common phrase that people have been used to describe this movie is that it's like a hate letter to cinema. And I just want to say, like, this movie, it is not a hate letter to cinema. It's not a hate letter to safety regulations or, like, film criticisms. I think it's a hate letter to the Hays Code and the wave of, like, general American puritanism and the way that it held cinema and also society back during that period of time when it was really implemented into Hollywood. That being said, uh, I do think that the film could have done better to convey this. Yeah, the most interesting characters in this film are played by Lee Jun Lee and Havana Depo. So Lee Jun Lee, she plays like a fake version of Marlene Dietrich. Havana Depo, he plays a character that's based on the jazz band leader, Curtis Mosby. Even the main character, played by Diego Calva, he's he's kind of based on like the many Latino uh, filmmakers that were working in early Hollywood who like pioneered like the Spanish language content during that time period. They're like the three most interesting characters. Unfortunately, the movie wastes a lot of time on Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie's characters because the film spans like many, many years. As the time goes on, you kind of see the way that the Hays Code and the changing political climate have affected people's careers. And that's definitely, I think, the most heartbreaking and like most the part of the movie that really stays with me. Um, The reason it's on this list is because, yeah, the fake Marlene Dietrich character is a lesbian. And there's this incredible scene with a snake that I don't really want to spoil what happens with it. Apparently, Mary told me that the snake audio thingy is like a viral thingy on TikTok right now. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) Just the bit where where Margot is like, oh, what's this? I'm going to find a snake. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Yeah. I don't want to say. She just. She just yells it. I don't want to say what happens in this scene because it's, I think it's very good to like just yeah, be and surprised I, I want to go it. see Babylon, so yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it ends up being uh, the scene culminates in something very gay happening. It, it uh, ends up with like a relationship between um, Margot Robbie's character and Legion Lee's character that's actually like long term until like the pressures on the industry and the public eye, like because of that, they're forced to break up and uh, Legion Lee basically loses the work that she does. One of the opening scenes of this movie is uh, Legion Lee. She's um, kind of recreating that Marlene Dietrich scene in Morocco where she kisses a woman um, in front of the whole club. And it's it's incredible. It's incredible. And then, um, we are with the fake Curtis Mosby's character, it takes a look at how, like, the racism and how catering to audiences in the South um, led to, like, you know, increased racism against Black people on film. Black people in cinema, like, the opportunities for them were actually starting to kind of blossom a bit. Um, during that period in time until this movement was implemented and so like yeah with the fake Curtis Mosby character it looks at the way that the pendulum starts to swing back in the other direction to the point where he just gets forced out of the industry basically because he doesn't want to put up with the indignity 
So yeah, just in general, I do think this film obviously could have been better if it had focused more on these characters, but I'm still very impressed by it. And like, I do really appreciate the film for like what I've mentioned, given like the work that we do on like the things that we discuss on this podcast, like this is so specific, actually. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to our interests but yeah uh the movie itself from a technical standpoint i think is perfect one of the things that really annoyed me about la la land is how lazy it gets like obviously like it starts and it's all like sweeping and the movement and like the pacing is incredible but then it really stagnates around the middle of the movie and just gets really boring right up until like the final big number um mm. but Yeah, something I really love about Babylon is even though it's a three-hour movie, he's awake the entire time. He doesn't drop it for a single second. Like, obviously, like, there's different changes of pace within the story. I think it's just so consistently turned on. Yeah, I'm just really impressed that a movie like this could have been made. And it's sad that it flopped. And obviously, I'm not crazy about Brad Pitt being involved in this movie. I can think of, like, ten different dudes that you could have cast instead that would have been, like, actually better for the role. But yeah, overall, I did really enjoy this movie. You've made me want to see it because I wasn't really going to bother with it before you read me and told me what it was like. No, the thing is, I wasn't really going to bother with it because I saw all the bad reviews. But the thing is, like, when someone says that a movie is unwatchable, that just makes me really curious. Mm. Like, I just I just want to see, like, how how badly can it go? Come on. I've got a free afternoon. Let's let's waste three hours. Oh, I just didn't want to see it because the trailer, like, just confused me. I had no idea what it was about. Like, it just showed sort of a lot of, like, partying and stuff. And I was like, yeah, I don't know what this is, but it was giving me, like, Baz Luhrmann energy. And oh, I yeah. No, that. no. Yeah. You so- you do really get that energy from it. But it's not as nauseating as Baz Luhrmann is. Um, Mm. And, like, you know, it actually has a purpose other than to nauseate Ah. you. So, yeah, moving on, you've got... (gasps) Fire Island! My best friend, Fire Island! Yes, Fire Island is directed by Andrew Ahn, and it is an adaptation, a modern adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. It's an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice that's set on Fire Island, which is like a popular gay tourism spot um, in New York, and all the characters are gay men uh, on vacation there. It's really interesting to see that how like the themes of class difference that are explored in Pride and Prejudice can be applied to this other very specific, very different setting. Yes, because I think the whole idea with Pride and Prejudice is how insular it is, mm-hmm. and so like I think the the clever thing about Fire Island is that it's also like showing how these class dynamics are at play in like a very insular community mm-hmm. which I think is a big part of the reason why I think it works I know that not everybody thinks it works as an adaptation I think it works as an adaptation but sometimes as a film on its own it comes off as a bit weird for people that aren't too familiar with Pride and Prejudice I didn't really realize this until like a few friends of mine who are not Pride and Prejudice fans or like just haven't they're not familiar with Pride and Prejudice as a story. Like, they sort of watched it and went, eh. You know, like, they were like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Like, they, they were sort of like, it was funny, but, like, you know, mm. they didn't really yeah. vibe with it. And that's so a I fair can, criticism, I, though, to have. Because yeah. I think, like, when you've got something that's so different from its source material, it should be able to stand on its own. But I guess not, like, it's it's just, yeah, not for everyone. Um, But, yeah, we did really love this movie. One of my favorite things about this movie is that it's shot on film and it looks absolutely stunning. The The use of natural light in this movie just makes my heart so full. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many scenes that are filmed in, like, at like the golden hour, at like sunset, sunrise, and everything looks just so beautiful. Um, the cast 
is just excellent. The lead and who also wrote the movie is Joel Kim Booster um, as yes. Lizzie. Um, you've got Bo and Yang playing like a hybrid of Jane and Charlotte. And uh, Darcy is uh, played by Conrad Rikimura. Um, yes. And, yeah, I love him. It was so nice I to love see him. him in something like outside of How to Get Away with Murder. Yeah, it really was. And also Conrad is so good. He's Miss Darcy is so good. I rewound like when I first watched like the scene where he throws his little ice cream away um so many times. I was like, this is such a perfect scene. Mm-hmm. Um as an adaptation, it just does everything so well. I um and it's just such a fun movie. Like I don't know how you can watch this and not have fun. We were talking about bros earlier and I think this movie does touch on and like explore a lot of the same themes that bros explores but from a more like intersectional perspective I I don't really feel I can speak to how well it does that but like I can definitely see the attempt Mm -hmm. and we do have an episode coming soon where we talk about Fire Island and Pride and Prejudice let's do it for Valentine's Day yeah yeah like we have an episode coming where we talk about like sort of queer adaptations of Pride and Prejudice like talking about Fire Island and a few others um so we'll we'll elaborate on that more there this movie most notably what we'll leave you on is that it got an honorary Bechdel test pass from Alison Bechdel themselves. Yeah. So, what more do you need to know? Yeah. Next oh, up. Next up, we have Nope, directed and written by and produced by Jordan Peele. It's technically not a gay film, though. Though you know, you know that post that's like the LGBT community has forgiven Jean Jacket. <laughs> <laughs> I personally think that Jean Jacket, they are a non-binary icon. Um, yeah. Like, I, I Also, I Kiki Palmer's character is a lesbian. And also, of course, Kiki Palmer and is a And also, if a, the GLAAD Media gay. Awards can nominate Lightyear for, best, for one of the best LGBT films of the year, I think we can talk about Nope on our podcast. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> As a long-time Kiki Palmer stan, like, this movie is, like, what dreams are made of for me. Like, I was just delighted seeing Kiki on screen, on the screen large in like a big sci-fi horror, like excellent film with excellent execution. The technical aspect of this flawless. I am actually appalled and shocked that it was not nominated for anything. Uh, Especially like not even- cinematography. Yeah, and or sound even design. special effects Oof. or sound design. Beautiful, like it's just beautiful work. Just a travesty, really. I could talk about this film forever because I think it's just in, an incredible story with so many layers. Like, Jordan Peele has not done a miss yet. No. And he never will. Mm-hmm. I don't like people that are saying, like, this is his weakest one. I don't mm. agree with you. He. I think it's my favorite, honestly. Yeah? I think the thing is, like, a lot of people kind of, like, walked into it thinking that it was just going to be, like, a fun monster movie, which it is. I think it's a fun monster movie. It's a fun monster movie. It's a fun daylight horror movie. But also, it's just about so many other things. Like, there's Mm. so much commentary on, like, the gays and Hollywood and just cinema in general. There's so much, like, that's, like, so integral to that. Um, Yeah. 
that's like very cleverly i think woven into the story and i think yeah just like the thing is like people weren't really expecting to watch something that required you to think so like to someone that has their brain shut off to these things like they're just gonna see like a bunch of things that seem kind of meaningless to the story but are actually like really integral to it i also think it's very weird that people expected that given what us and get out we're also about yeah i think that if you weren't looking at the deeper meaning in those films and you resent nope for having a less direct hold your hand approach to similar themes then you just need to get better at watching movies i i don't know what to tell you i think it's very interesting that the that a lot of people on twitter and tiktok want to talk about the gays all the time but when they actually are confronted with a film that is addressing the issue of who gets to look in cinema like who actually gets to do the looking who gets to be perceived when a film is actually about that it's you you can't spot it it's almost like people on tiktok and twitter who talk about the gays all the time aren't actually talking about that because they don't know what these terms mean but yeah i think this is just another masterpiece for jordan peele he just keeps getting better and better yeah like this is so corny to say but i jordan peele is one of those filmmakers that when i sit and watch his films i'm like oh my gosh i'm so glad i get to be alive at this time to watch his films like I genuinely think that every single time like I go like wow I'm so lucky that I get to live and see this Mm. I'm so lucky I got to grow up with him doing Obama impressions and making me laugh and then now I get to like have him change my whole view on cinema in like two and a bit hours yeah He's one of my like dream interview people. I would love to talk to him. Um, but that would be but, yeah. yeah, that would be so great. I think yeah. my the one thing that I have against Nope actually mm-hmm. is the title. Um, yes, I think yeah, it under, I think no, underdid it. no, like they did it for the meme. Like I remember when they first announced the movie, it was like years ago. I feel like oh yeah, I feel like it was like, like it was three right years after ago. us, right after us had yeah, come out. and like the and like yeah. the poster, and you had no idea what it is. You just knew that the title was Nope, and uh, yeah, I just think I think they should have just like changed the title before release because every time they do say nope in the movie like it just feels really corny and i don't like it i think it just kills the vibe actually so um Mm. yeah yeah it's just that's that's my only thing against the movie other than that it's flawless in my opinion also shout out to emerald and oj one of the best like brother sister yes representation yes seen in so long yeah um adored them so much Mm -hmm. Um, there's been a lot more like brother sister media recently which i really appreciate because i don't think like yeah intergender siblings intergender (laughs) intergender intergender (laughs) i don't know mixed gender siblings yeah mixed gender sibling combos are just very undermined material in my opinion uh and it's just really nice like given like the way that i've grown up just to see it um yes so yeah it's like on one hand like we've got malignant and on the other hand we have nope and (laughs) (laughs) double feature (laughs) double feature oh my god james wan in conversation with jordan peele 10 out of 10 would watch please Please, if either of them listen to us, can you mm-hmm. do that, please? Can you talk Why to each other? Why is James Wan merging with Bloomhouse when he should be merging with, like, Monkey Paw? Come on. Yes! Like, it's not exactly. that hard. 
It's not that it's not hard. That hard. Sorry. Um, um, <laughs> I don't know how business works. Why can't they just print more money? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, or last but certainly not least, in no way least. Probably the most. It's probably the most. Um, you could almost say everything because it is everything everywhere all at once. Directed by the Daniels. Daniel Kwan um, and Dan Scheinart. What can we say? Like, the world actually agrees that this is the best film of the I year. I know. The Oscar nom, it's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, I remember, like, mid-last year, I had a conversation with you, Mary, where I was so mean. I was like, don't, like, it's so freaking delusional to think that everything everywhere all was. <laughs> <laughs> it's so you freaking were, delusional you were very to pessimistic. think this, Yeah, I was very pessimistic because, you know, like films like this, like don't get the no. I know. Sort of I understand why like, you were, ever. and so I'm just mm. I'm so shocked. I'm pleasantly surprised, a little bit embarrassed, but I am I'm just very happy <laughs> overall. Um, <laughs> it's a good thing to be wrong about. It's a good, it's thing, a good thing, thing to be wrong about. It's a good thing to be wrong about. And uh, yeah, so this is a brilliant, brilliant film. That's uh, just, you know, can we give a summary quickly? Um, it's about a woman trying to do her taxes. It's about a woman trying to do her taxes. Um, elaborate <laughs> a bit more, please. <laughs> um, it is about a woman, uh, Evelyn, played by Michelle Yeoh, who is genuinely attempting to do her taxes. And in the course of trying to do her taxes, she gets recruited into a multi-universal battle against uh, an evil force and she has to learn the ability to verse jump and she gets to see all her alternate lives um i started crying when that bit happened because this is like a story the kind of story that i'm deeply obsessed with so mm. that was like very you love a multiverse me, but, story i i do i have a published multiverse story guys everyone go purchase unlimited futures so- yeah <laughs> thanks <laughs> just in the middle of it <laughs> by the way guys yeah um but anyway uh that's what the the story is like a multiverse story about a woman called evelyn and she is told that because of how much life she's lived and because of all the things that she has and hasn't done she is that like she's the most failed equipped. to do yeah that she's failed to do she is the most equipped to fight this evil force known as um jobu tapaki Tapaki. And I don't know, I don't really want to, if you haven't seen it, I don't really want to elaborate it on it but beyond that because, can, should I? Should I, I'm like, gonna, say? I'm going <laughs> to, it's not really because, like, you kind of find out in the first 20 minutes anyway. But Joba Tapaki okay. is an alternate universe version of her daughter, her gay daughter, mm. who she yes. is homophobic towards. Yes. And between Everything Everywhere All at Once and Turning Red, there's like this new fantasy genre that's really hip right now that's called Asian <laughs> Mothers Apologizing. And it's crazy. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, the way that this film actually like deals with that, like of like having Asian parents who are homophobic and like the way that that kind of trauma makes you feel and the way that, you know, you kind of want to end the entire universe. Uh, it's very real, very relatable, mm. in my opinion. Mm. And um, it's really beautiful the way that this movie is like, actually, uh, the best way to stop the cycle of abuse is to fucking apologize. <laughs> and, so uh, true. Yeah. It's, what yeah, a revolutionary idea. What a revolutionary concept, which is why, <laughs> which is why it's a fantasy concept. 
And uh, yeah, so yeah, I was really, yeah, we were just crying in the cinema, Mary. Mm. We were just, oh, yeah, man. we were. Oh, it's we so were. much. We this were. movie is relentless. Like I Relentless. like every time one of my friends like would message me like, Hey, I'm going out to see everything everywhere all at once, I was like, have a coffee beforehand. Yeah. Um <laughs> because yeah, you need to be awake for this. Mm. It's brilliant. And like I just wanna like like this movie was edited on Premiere Pro. <laughs> Uh, Paul Rogers, the editor, you are an absolute maniac. Yes. They've released photos of the, like, screenshots of the premiere of the timeline of this movie mm. in Premiere Pro, and it stresses me out so much. It stresses me out. I just, I Look just, at all those tracks. All those, all those different tracks, all those different pieces <sighs> to get. Oh, oh, oh. But it's nominated <sighs> for Best Editing, and I totally understand. And I fully agree. Something that I loved about this film, apart from the fact that this film is kind of like everything I love, like all my favorite story ideas and tropes in a film, apart from that, which is a lot of it. The other thing I loved about it on a technical level is that the Daniels like just clearly love movies. Mm -hmm. They pay all the homages like yeah. in this movie, even homages that to films that I hadn't yet seen, but then but then Daya would be like, "Oh, they're playing like like this bit was a homage to this and yeah and uh it was just so nice like spotting the ones i did spot and then dea sent me like a like a little bit of the movie commentary where they talk about like how they had blood spatter on the lens and that was like a reference to children of men which Beautiful. is really funny because because dea and i were both like yeah we knew we saw <laughs> like because you know we are yeah. we are like children of men 2000 and <laughs> 2008 fans something i really really love especially about this film is how accessible so much behind the scenes material for this movie mm. is and like the movie magic of it all and i love how the daniels like they don't they're not like keeping all their cards close to their chest they're just like here um and so like watching it with commentary is really funny it's like listening to two directors like cinema sins their own movie um <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah you learn a lot like if you're really interested in film production and editing and like all like pretty much all facets of, of filmmaking all the different departments of filmmaking like definitely watch this with commentary it's so so fun and so so interesting. some of the bits and pieces i've seen in the commentary kind of give me the same feeling that i got like i remember wondering when i was watching sense8 how they did all the like changes from when from one of the sense8s to another mm -hmm. and i remember thinking like wow they must use some like really complicated cgi and then i remember watching the documentary on like making sense8 yeah and um lana was just like yeah we just swapped them out yeah you know, they were we just like ducking like in and out of the camera like really <laughs> Like when and you see like, like just like a wide shot of them doing like what <laughs> of them doing it all, it looks so goofy, but it's really fun. And uh, yeah. yeah, this movie is like very much that. It's kind of like the simplest answer is often the correct one. Yeah. I just love the way that like this movie was pulled together. Like it's pretty low budget. It's like surprisingly low budget for like such a massive movie. Um, and, uh, yeah, I love, like, so many of the people that worked on VFX were, like, self-taught, and, like, they got, like, the Marshall Club off YouTube to do the fight choreography, and it was yeah. brilliant. And, uh, just um, really, really fun. I just love the way they cast this movie as well. Um, mm. like, they really had this vision of, like, here's who we want 
for Michelle Yeoh. Like, this is, like, such a perfect movie to demonstrate how talented she is mm. to showcase every single thing that she could do. And it's, uh, yeah, it's really beautiful. I also just love listening to Kihai Kwan talk about, like, how he hadn't been, like, given any jobs in ages. And so he was just, like, so touched when they reached out to him and were like, hey, um, we love you. Do you want to... Do you want to do this? Mm. Who doesn't love Waymond? Like, if you come out of this movie and you don't love Waymond, I don't know what's wrong with you. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, Stephanie Shu as well. Oh, Stephanie Shu. As, as um, Jobu slash Joy. T- she did, like, a live panel on TikTok. And um, I was, like, crying watching it because she has mostly done, like, theatre stuff. Like, she's... Yeah. She started, like, breaking into movies, but, like, not really anything major. And when she got the script for this, she, like, really wanted to do it and, like... She was like, oh my gosh, you know, like, I can't believe this. And she showed the script to her wife and her wife was like, you have to do this. This is like the coolest thing ever. Like, Mm. even if it doesn't, even if it doesn't become big, like you're going to regret like not doing something that sounds this fun. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and she just talked about how. We freaking bullet when Aquafina dropped out of this movie. (laughs) Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. (laughs) Um, But yeah, uh, I just love watching like Stephanie Hsu talk about like how, again, like, a lot like Kihai Kwan and the others, like how this is like a major career shifter for her and it, and it really is something she never expected she'd ever get the chance to do for someone like her. And it's just, it's so nice. Like everything I hear about this film is like so kind mm-hmm. and like full of love. And I think that's that's just so nice. Um, we were talking after the Golden Globes that like Colin Farrell winning for Ben She's of Inisherin and Kihai Kwan winning for Everything Everywhere All at Once is so nice because like they play really like nice characters and it's just nice to see men yeah. winning for roles like that rather than winning for playing predators. <laughs> like, predators and Nazis like, and cops yeah. and people who yell and yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I just I don't know what we can say about this film that hasn't already been said it's just wonderful and i don't think we'll see anything like it for a very long time like it's just so i'm interested to see like the influence that it has just on like future cinema you know like there are definitely people who are going to be like like majorly inspired by this and obviously like you know this movie itself is you know really big on matrix and things like that Mm, mm. yeah of course we love it of course we love it yes yeah beautiful beautiful Um, film i'm excited that it's gotten as much recognition in the awards circuit that it has. I feel like people who are saying that everything everywhere all at once being nominated for all these Oscars is the signal of the death of cinema. And uh, I think it's the death of a certain kind of cinema. cinema and it shows the way that we want to see something new, the, mm. the, the way that we want to see this art form like really transform and appreciate actual innovation. And um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm very excited. I am very excited too. But I also want to say to people saying like, oh, it's great that the Daniels finally made something good. As if Swiss Army Man wasn't good. Who is nobody? Safe? Meet me in the no, pit. Meet me. <laughs> nobody asked you. And also, Swiss Army Man is a great film. I don't care what it's anybody so good. says. It's so good. Um, <laughs> like people who are like, oh, I didn't know the Daniels had this in them. Um, shut no, up. They are. So- 
extremely talented people. Like, mm-hmm. Swiss Army Man is if, like, you got, like, extremely talented people to make something, like, deeply stupid. But also, it's really not stupid. Like, that movie makes me cry. Like, it's just about love. Everything they make is just about love. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And people who think they're unlovable, like, realizing that they're loved. You know, that's their whole, that's their whole thing. Yeah. We need stories like that. Like, yeah. you know. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's a bummer to mention this, but my one thing is I really love the success of Everything Everywhere All at Once. And I really love that, like, so many people, for once, like, so many people my age are really interested in a movie that's, like, this unique and stuff. But it's also, like, I feel like we only really pay attention to movies on this level when they cater to your inner child, which is what this movie very much does. And there have been, like, some pretty valid criticisms on the way that this movie, like, erases like things like sexuality like Evelyn's specifically in a way that's like a bit infantilizing but I think it's still a great movie to have I still think it's putting out it's like putting out a lot more good yeah it's putting out a lot more good you know like on balance you know nothing's ever you know fully perfect nothing can be everything for everybody but I still think it's made like incredible Mm. strides not to not to just credit any of that yes i have seen a lot of criticism of like that a lot of people feel that the that evelyn's abuse of joy is like very much like skated over in a lot of ways yeah personally i don't think it's skated over i just think like because evelyn is the main character really all that she can do is like the thing is like the truth is with issues like this is all you can really do is apologize like understand what you did and apologize which is something that Evelyn does the thing about this movie is that Joy actually forgives her um which is something that like none of us are obligated to do but it's you know it's a fucking movie so of course she's going to eventually forgive her but also like something really important I think about this movie that like makes that really drives it home is like Joy's first instinct is to run away um which Mm. is just like so deeply relatable yeah um it's this movie is everything (laughs) It's everything. It's everywhere, and it's all at once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, those were the last on our LGBT movie list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just wanted to give Why? an honorable <laughs> gay film mention. I really don't get <laughs> this one because you haven't seen it. You don't understand. Fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I want to give a shout out to oh, the movie, the film if you will. <laughs> The unbearable weight of massive talent, which I saw um, after I got kicked out of jury duty um, (laughs) before funsies. Um, No, not that I got kicked out of jury duty for funsies. I I saw the film for funsies. I think this movie, I know you hate this word, Daya, and I know a lot of people do, but genuinely this movie like is a bromance in a non-homophobic way. And it's like, a so friendship nice. between men like just say that a, just say that it's it about is a friendship. friendship but it's but it's a friendship without being homophobic which is really nice um unlike banshees of inisherin sorry <laughs> <laughs> i loved banshees of inisherin that's my favorite bromance movie of the year yes. sorry my favorite bromantic comedy bromantic comedy Nick Cage and Pedro Pascal, like, they're just so funny in this movie. And there's just, like, lots of points in this movie where they're just, like, they're randomly prepared to die for each other, even though they've only known each other for 24 hours. And I just think that that's really beautiful. There's representation in this film in the sense that there's a scene where Nick Cage and Pedro Pascal are talking about what their favorite movies are. And uh, they both agree that the the cabinet of Dr. Calgary is... (laughs) 
<laughs> their shared favorite movie. But then when Nick Cage is like, but what's your second favorite movie? Pedro Pascal's like, you're going to laugh at me. And Nick Cage is like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that to you. And then it's like, it's Paddington 2. <laughs> and it's just amazing. Like, yeah. it's a beautiful scene. And my mum got so mad when I showed her this movie. because She was like, is this why you wanted to show me? To, like, you want to prove to me that Paddington is a good movie? My mum doesn't believe <laughs> I was like, no, I wanted to show because it was funny. But this movie just brought me so much joy. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it just made me very happy. And I feel like even though a lot of it does work off, like, ripping off Nick Cage's films, I think it also mostly is just ripping off, like, his public persona uh -huh. more than anything else. So, like, it's just a good time. Uh, and it's just very silly. And... um. It has some genuinely good twists in it. Okay. I just wanted to shout out that movie because I thought it was very funny and it was probably the most fun mm -hmm. I had in the cinema other than everything, everywhere, all at once. Did you have any honourable gay film A's other than Banshees of Inisherin? Not, not necessarily gay film A's and I, I was joking about Banshees of Inisherin. But uh, actually... I'm just going to list my other favorite films of the year. I'm not really going to go into them because uh, we don't have time. Okay. So Decision to Leave, obviously. Park Chan-wook's new film. Um, go see it. It's brilliant. It's like if Luther and Alice were normal. Next up is Before Now Then. That is kind of an honorary gay movie for me because I don't think her husband was actually there. I think he was like a ghost that she was imagining. Um, I f just watch this movie and and you'll see what I mean. So before now, then that's directed by Camila Andini. Corsage with Vicky Creeps. Creeps? Creeps? I don't know. I still don't know. Mm. Sorry. Uh, then Banshees of Inner Sharon. Nanny. Return to Soul. We Are Still Here. Resurrections. The Northman. Yeah. 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 And you pretty much covered any movies I would have shouted out. So yeah. I just want to briefly mention some media that doesn't really fit anywhere that I think is worth mentioning. I have two favorite gay video essays of 2022. Anyone who knows me knows I love a good video essay. And uh, my two faves for the year were um, Overanalyzing the Barbie Movies with Queer Marxist Theory Woo! by Alexander Avilia. If you haven't seen that video essay, it's incredible. It's my best friend. Mm -hmm. um, I watch it just to feel happy sometimes. Mm -hmm also shout out to the video essay entitled I emailed my doctor 133 times the crisis in the British healthcare system by Abigail Thorne of philosophy tube fame uh, she basically talks about the experience of trying to get herself moved up the list of like medical transition in Britain and how like it led her to discovering like the crisis in that part of the healthcare system and uh it's like a heavy watch but i think like it's a really it's a really well put together like i'd almost borderline call it a documentary because she does talk to people like in the mm. system and everything like that so it's very well put together and outside of video essays i also want to shout out patrick abood's podcast called the greatest menace which is about australia's imprisonment of gay men and specifically how there was like a gay prison like specifically for gay men uh that was in in operation in kuma new south wales yeah in in operation in kuma um and he he goes and talks to people who were put in this prison he talks to the people that used to run it he talks to judges to lawyers who would put people in the, this place um it is an incredible podcast yeah 
it was one of the things that made me like be like, oh yeah, this is why I love listening to podcasts. It was just really excellent. I learned a lot about a part of Australia's history, specifically Australia's queer history that I didn't know about. Hmm. That's kind of a downer note to end on. I didn't mean for that to happen. No. Uh, but that's just how the cookie crumbles sometimes. But that is our 2022 wrap up. Do you have anything you want to add, Dale? No, thank you. No, no I'm really, you. I'm really happy to that we that we did all this. It's been really fun. Yes. Yeah, it's it's fun being back and having time to do this, even though. Yeah, five hours of recording just killed me. But uh, <laughs> you're doing so well. I'm doing amazing, wall. sweetie. I'm doing amazing. You're doing sweetie. amazing, sweetie. You really are. All right. Anyway, thank you, thank you, guys. Um, thank you for thanks listening. for listening. Uh, good here's, to be back. He, here's, here's to 2023. Be good and be, be safe. safe. And we love you. And thank you for listening. Yep. Bye bye. And bye. Bye. Unlimited futures. And this all come back now. Bye bye. Oh, yeah, please <laughs> do that. <laughs> See ya.